0: listening to the fearless business podcast. You're in the best place to learn about how to grow a business, get more clients and make more money without fears and limitations all while having fun in the process. Robin Waite is the founder of fearless business, a business accelerator helping coaches, consultants and freelancers double their income and more. Now here's your host, Robin Waite. Welcome back, everybody. It is the next episode of the Fearless Business Podcast. I am your host, Robin Waits, founder of Fearless Business. I've got not one, but two remarkable guests. It's a two-for-one deal uh, on the Fearless Business Show today. Uh, Andrew with the glasses that you can see there, and Pete with the long hair. Uh, I don't, it's probably those two characteristics, really, that you're allowed to sort of pick out. Uh, these, <laughs> <laughs> these guys are international keynote speakers. They are the founders of Atomicon, which I'm looking forward to hearing about a bit later on. Authors, YouTubers, multi award winning business geo help small business owners scale their business so they can stop swapping time for money. This is my type of um crowd here today, Andrew and Pete. Welcome. Woohoo! Hello,
1: everybody. Thank
2: you. Woo-hoo. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks, Robin, for that awesome
0: introduction. <laughs> it's my pleasure. Listen, um, my audience, we, we always love to like dive straight in with the value. So obviously, we're going to hear about your story, both of you, a bit later on, how you got into doing what you're doing. But to kick things off, um, sales. Sales. Like, this is a topic which a lot of business owners really shy away from. There's a lot of fear around selling. Um, but I'm curious, like, uh, one of the things which you talk a lot about is creating time for sales. So how should business owners prioritize
1: making time for sales? Yeah, so me and Andrew have this idea that <laughs> you, you got to prioritize sales like more than anything else in the business. Like, it's the lifeblood of your business. And if you want to keep growing, if you want to raise your prices by generating enough demand, if you want to launch more scalable offers, you need to constantly be increasing that demand. And the only way that's going to happen is if you continuously spend time on your business development and therefore included within that your sales. So we would really, really recommend that you have dedicated time in your diary for sales. Now, there's a caveat to this because what a lot of people do is they put in their diary like business time or business development time or sales time, like just as a big block, like two hours sales. And it's like, you get to that time in your diary and you're like, oh, I don't know what to do. (laughs) And it's a bit overwhelming. Nobody really likes to like be pushy salesy people. And a lot of the sales language is kind of often portrayed negatively even though it shouldn't and maybe we can get onto that but it gets to that point in the diary it's not clearly broken down as to what they're doing exactly like every minute of that and therefore they procrastinate because you sit down you look at your to-do list none of it looks enticing like the things that are impactful in your business are tough they're scary they're hard to do the unknown you might get rejected it might not work it might fail so essentially you don't really want to do any of that and what you do is the easier stuff that doesn't have any impact and you kind of flit throw at that time, you, may, you might allow yourself to be distracted and really you need to have it broken down in the diary exactly what you're doing. And if you don't prioritize that in the diary every week, even when you're busy, even when you're getting new clients and you've got too many clients, it's still a priority and it should still be increasing in time, not decreasing. And instead of decreasing it, you need to find a way of scaling your services so that you can continue to build that demand. And that's how you're going to keep growing. What a lot of people do is they get busy. This is the peaks and troughs in business. They get busy with client work. They stop on the marketing and sales. And then once the client work dies down a bit, they haven't got those leads coming in. So they have to do a mad scramble to get more leads. And then it goes on and on and on. So you need that consistent time in the diary.
0: So one of the words which I heard there, which you didn't say, but it, I heard it was specificity. You've got to be super specific about how you're going to mm. use that time. What, As in what activities are you going to do to generate sales? And I, I'm exactly the same. If I put something in my diary and I'm not specific about it, I'll just end up on TikTok, like doom scrolling
2: for an hour Absolutely. or something. And I'm like, oh
0: damn, I haven't done any sales today.
2: <laughs> exactly. So you need to break this down. So step one is having some kind of some kind of system or process that you are using to track the leads that you currently have, that you're currently nurturing, that you're currently in sales conversations with. This can be as easy as a, a, a spreadsheet or a Google doc or something like that. Yes, we can get a bit fancier with like CRMs and like Asanas and Trello's and all of that kind of good stuff. But to be honest, if you haven't got that and you just want to use a spreadsheet, like use something that's simple. So it's going like step one needs to be going back to your like your warm list who are we currently in conversations with? Who do we need to follow up with? A lot of people have that in their head rather than like written down somewhere. The next thing we want to be doing is looking at how are we, what we call getting more hand raises from our content. So this is something that we have practiced. It's almost like a system that we've developed over the years, where we kind of got fed up of marketers, specifically marketers talking about Like how to grow an audience and how you need to be like super engaging and how like you need to build community and like using all these buzzwords, which we, to be honest, we completely believe in. Like we know all of that's important. What they weren't talking about was once you've got that audience, once you've got that community, how do you transition that into leads and into sales? So what we started doing was creating what we call handraiser content. So this is content that allows people to tell us if they are interested in learning more about what we are selling, and and then we can follow up with the people that are actually interested. So in our diary, every single week, we are constantly looking at how are we getting more hand raises? That might be, how are we sending an email to our, our list to tell them about something that we're selling and how are we tracking the clicks? How are we creating content that's built specifically around our products and services that people can access? It might be PDF downloads. It might be webinars, that kind of thing.
1: Because if you've ever tried to sell on social media, you'll know it just flops, right? And if you try to sell an email, it can be kind of hit and miss as well. So the real key to sales is proactively, not pushy, proactively and enthusiastically selling to people who want to be sold to. Because people like to be sold to if it's right for them. People want to know. Like they're looking for solutions, right? So it's a mutual beneficial thing. So you just need to know who that person is. So we constantly need to create scenarios where we get to find out where that person is. So for a very simple example, let's say you're a coach, you have a coaching program, and it's like you write a blog, like here's um, five reasons why you shouldn't work with me, right? And you send an email to your audience and it's like, hey, wrote this blog if you've been thinking about working with me, like here's five reasons why not to work with me. The whole blog is like puts a positive spin on it, right? But to be honest, it doesn't really matter what's in the blog. What matters is who clicks. So now after that very simple, harmless email, like now you know who's potentially interested in working with you because on the hyperlink, the trigger action there is, if you're interested in working with me, like here's a bit more information about whether you'd be right. So people are self-qualifying themselves. Now that's quite high intent, but you can do this on lower intent too. So, for example, at the very simplest level, like let's say you help people get sales, and you do an email that says, "Hey, you know, if you're struggling to get more sales, like here's a link to a blog about it." Okay, everyone that clicks on that link is—it's lower intent, sure, but they're raising the hand to say, "Hey." I want more sales. Now that person has qualified them as interested right now in what you have to offer. So you can start to proactively nurture that person, follow up with that person, reach out to that person one-on-one even if you want to. There's lots of ways you can do it. So there's like a plethora of different ways you can raise people's hands, but essentially you're just looking for that click or that comment or that DM or that page view that download that lets you know that that person is either the right person for you, like your ideal avatar, they have the problem that you can solve with your services, or they're interested in working with you right now. It's one of those three things. That's amazing. I, I think on, I mean, we're at like
0: episode 150 or something like that on the podcast, I don't think anybody has given such a specific and v- such a useful piece of advice there. Oh, good. <laughs> actually, actually, like it's not about people like emailing you or stuff. Like it's about like paying attention just to the minutiae of the detail. The spec- somebody's clicked on a link to say I'm interested in that blog, and then following that up, not waiting for likes,
1: comments, and shares and things yes. like that because they don't pay the bills, do they? Exactly. It's like, and and the beautiful thing about it is that. So the to those people that aren't interested or not ready right now, right? It's not like you're getting rejected, right? But um if they're not ready right now and they don't click on that email, like it's not a pushy sales email. So you're not like doing any damage to like your brand reputation or your brand equity. You're not you're not continuously selling, you're just continuously fishing. So you can give value and fish at the same time, which is the beautiful thing about the handraiser model, because it's like you can give value and get people just nibbling on the, you know, on the bait, as it were, just triggering that link. Um, and therefore you can follow up with those people. Like, and you can do this retrospectively as well. Like everyone listening right now, like go back to a previous email where you've kind of said something similar like that or promoted your service and people have clicked but they've not bought you can go back and follow up with those people and the beautiful thing about it is like you can do that manually and you can also do that in an automated way you can get a team to help you with that even and depending on how high the ticket is for that item you can spend more time do more sales calls on that sort of thing if you want but you know, it's this really practical, easy thing that people can do, like today, to get more clients. Like to anyone listening right now, it's, it's it's a Monday when we're recording this. Like, do an email, like link people to a previous blog that you have. The link in the email should be like, if you have this problem, click here. So it's, it's very specific that the the trigger link has to be. It has to call out the problem or the avatar or the service, right? And then and then you can go follow up those people and say, hey, if you're interested in solving this problem, like I've got a program about that. Like, would you like to hear more? Like click here. Anyone that clicks on that link, like I'm sending them a personal email, you know? Like, and this could be Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Now you've got some calls button, right? Now you can talk to them. Um, and you can do this on every platform, social, like other ways to get hand raises, You can do like an Instagram poll on your story. Um, you could do a DM me if you want to know more about this or like who, even just in the comments. And then you can go and DM people after. Um, you can even retarget people that go on your website on certain pages because that's kind of signaling a hand raiser. So I'm going to shut up now, but yeah.
0: <laughs> no, it's amazing. I mean, there's a well-known stat, isn't there, that it costs 17 times more to acquire a new client than it does to to sell something to an existing one. So mm. and a client could be somebody who's already, not necessarily bought from you, but they've requested a free copy of a book or downloaded a podcast episode. They're, they're already in your ecosystem. Yeah. So by logic, it makes sense. It's going to be easier to take them up to the next step. Yes. um where's yes. so there's one thing question which I've got and apologies if this is a noddy sort of dumb question but um I think a lot of people get confused about um what constitutes marketing and what constitutes sales because there's some stuff that you kind of talked about which kind of crosses the divide bridges the divide doesn't it between the two so how would you how do you define sales and how would you define marketing
2: there definitely is crossover especially with with online marketing definitely a crossover. I think the way we think about it in our head is marketing is growing our audience, getting, growing more awareness of who we are and what we do. Selling is, or sales is moving people from, hey, I know who you are to raising their hand and saying, I want more information or like, I want you to sell to me, like send me more information. And we can often do that in like the same thing. So like if we're doing a webinar, for example, we're promoting a webinar to a brand new audience, like the, the marketing is getting people onto the webinar, the selling is once people are on the webinar, tell them, telling them to take the next step if yeah. they want to take the next step. I think what people do is they spend too much time on marketing and not enough time on sales. We all, we always say, actually, you should spend twice the amount of time on trying to convert the audience you already have, rather than trying to build new people. Like even if you've got like people will say to us, I've got like 100 people on my email list, I need to grow it. And we'll say to them, have you ever tried to sell to those 100 people that you've got? Like picture 100 people in a room, that's pretty big, that's pretty packed room. And you're not selling to any of them. You're just like more interested in getting that 100 to 1000. How many clients do you need? do you need like one more client this week, two more clients this week? Do you not think you can try to convert some of those 100 that you've already got rather than spending like all your time and effort trying to just find more people to not sell to them? (laughs) I don't know what the magic number is people are waiting for before they start trying to like sell their thing to the audience um, the build it. yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but but there, there's obviously a reason behind that. I mean, a, a fear obviously stops people yeah. from actually kind of, they mm-hmm. see people raising their hands, but they don't want to, it's like, you know, you see a hot man, woman in a bar and not, you know, you, you stood there kind of waiting for them to come to you, aren't you? Actually, what you want to do is probably be a bit more proactive. But what stops people from getting on the sales bandwagon and just cracking on with it?
2: You know, fear and confidence, like we've learned over the years, like That is the number one thing that holds people back. The more confident you are, the more you believe in yourself and your own services, the better you're going to be at sales. And I think that is step one. If you don't believe in like what you're offering, you need to fix that before you try to sell it, whatever that kind of looks like for you. There's, I feel like that's a whole podcast episode in itself. But like self-belief is critical to being able mm. to sell. I think breaking it down and finding ways to sell without feeling slimy and sleazy is is important. And I think that does often come from feeling like we're pitching our services to people that haven't asked to be pitched to. So using the handraiser technique is like one way to kind of get over that. Um, yeah. But I think as business owners, we do need to realize if we want to grow our business, like sales is something that we are going to just have to do. and oftentimes the scary stuff is the stuff that actually matters. Like it's not easy to grow a business. Like we're not here to say like, it's super easy doing sales, super easy to grow a business. Like no matter what experts you've listened to online that like preach that to get your 1,999 pounds to buy into their program. It's like, it's not easy. It takes work, it takes guts. And we found leaning into those fears is often like where the biggest breakthroughs come from. We actually did a whole talk at the very first Atomic on that kind of broke down why following the fears is actually good business and not like just doing the stuff yeah. that we know is easy. Because if we fill our to-do list with things that are easy, like we can feel busy, right? We can feel like we're actually growing our business when really we're not. We're just like taking yeah. off
1: easy stuff. We- Everyone can send a tweet. You know, <laughs> we, we have a phrase like, you know, you know, you've heard work smarter, not harder. We take that further. We say you need to work braver, not smarter or harder, because everything that's impactful in your business is something that's tough, unknown, scary, inherently. And we procrastinate on those things. So things like raising your prices, outsourcing, creating content, putting yourself out there like pitching for guests, guesting on interviews, selling to people, it it's like you might get rejected, it might not work, it might fail, it might look stupid, and people therefore put off all that important stuff, but it's the impactful stuff, like one impactful thing is worth a thousand small things, and what we see is, we call it a confidence plateau, So people will plateau in business due to their level of confidence. So there'll be a point at which there's something you need to do, but you'll be chained down and you won't be able to go further because you can't do that thing. Like, for example, raising your prices, right? That's really scary. But yeah, once you do it, you'll be free. Like you can get to the next level in your business, right? You'll free up time. You'll be able to afford to outsource more. You'll get more time. In that more time, you can create more demand because you can spend more time on marketing and sales. The more demand you get, the more you have for the supply of higher paying clients that will pay you more money. So it works. It's a cycle of prosperity, not depression, right? But it's scary to break that cycle in the first place and raise your prices because what if it doesn't work? What if no one pays me again? So everything is down to fear, but you need to follow the fear and work bravely. Yeah, And that's that's how you're going to have impact and not work all the hours of the day to make any money.
0: One of the things I've noticed actually is that for some reason, people in business, they think that the rules of engagement are slightly different to like the rules for life, right? So you go out (laughs) and play a football match or a tennis match, or I don't know, whatever else, and it's actually okay to lose the odd game. It's okay to kick a ball and miss the goal. It's okay to hit a ball outside Mm. the line. Yet in business, everybody has this like huge expectation that growth should look like that. Nice steady upward trajectory. Nothing should ever go wrong. You know, and when it does go wrong, like because of that expectation, it's an outright disaster and massively impacts them. I think if people just accepted that failure is an inherent part of business as well as anything in life, then they'd automatically just lean into those. Times yeah. when their fear is kind of, you know, like you just highlighted there around things like putting their prices up or making that approach for a sale that they wouldn't have otherwise done. Like it it's okay if they make that approach and the person says no, it's okay if you put your prices up and actually one or two people leave as a result of that. That's normal. That's okay. So let's make yes. it an acceptable, normal part of business. Um, I love those tips. Have you got any more sort of tips around sales as well? Because I know that there was a couple of things you said earlier on about um. Our associations, word associations, with like sales and it being sleazy and all these different things. But that that what what other sort of
1: sales tips have you got to build on that? One more, just mindset issue there. Like, think about it this way: when it comes to selling your stuff, like if you meet someone or come across someone and they're your ideal avatar, and you know that your service can help them, like it's your it's almost like your duty to sell to them. Like, imagine yeah. there's two paths in life, right? It, it, the, the path where you don't sell to them and the problem that they have gets worse and worse and makes them more and more miserable. And the other path, like, they they buy something from you and that helps them feel better do better, achieve more, win more, whatever. And they feel ultimately more happy. Like, if you don't sell to them, like, that could happen, you know? Like, the bad thing could happen, not the good thing. And so it's almost like your duty to impact people's lives more positively, because I'm presuming that's what everyone's trying to do, right? Help people. That's, That's what you're selling. You're helping someone with something, a problem. So when you do that, if you take in that mindset, like that, you have the power to like change that person's life for the better. And if you don't, then that person could not find someone to do that. And it could negatively impact their life. I think that's a really key thing to remember because, like, when we, when you get into a sales call or you're trying to push for sales, it's like you really do need to push it. Like every sale that we've ever got, like you know, we've had to fight for it in a way, right? It's not like sales just magically happens. Matt, just give
2: some like really practical tips on that point, Because yes. like being proactive. Like you'll hear people say you need to be proactive. Like what does that actually mean? So this is like what proactivity actually means. Like step one is looking for those hand raises. So we are not waiting around for leads to come to us. We are growing an audience. We are creating content that gets people to tell us. And then we are reaching out to them. And often that's personal reach out, especially if you've got a one-to-one service, you need to be doing personalized reach out, reach out to people that are in your audience, in, in your network. The next step is once you are in that sales conversation, once people have replied to you, once you've had the call or once you're in an email, like you need to keep control of that sale. I think the biggest mistake people make when it comes to losing control of the sale or getting ghosted is they constantly just leave it in the hands of the potential client. So if you've ever said to a potential client, what I'm gonna do is I'll send you over a, propo- a proposal, or I'll send you over an email, you like take take a look at it and let me know what you think. If you've ever said, just let me know what you think, like you're all of a sudden you're losing all your power, you are letting go, you are losing the ball, you are losing control of the sale. And then just a quick way to get over that is to just always have that next step agreed. So for example, you say to them, I'm going to send you over the proposal. What we'll do is we'll put a call in the diary for a few days time. How are you for like Thursday? Thursday, if you've got any time, just for like 10 minute call. It'll save us going back and forth on an email. I'll send over the proposal in the meantime, and then we'll chat then. Like boom, next step decided. You're going to get that next call. You're going to have that next action agreed. Then you're gonna send them the proposal. That gives them a deadline to actually read it. That gives them a deadline to actually talk to who they need to talk to on the team. And it like you not you're not waiting for an email back. Like you have the next step confirmed. People don't like doing that, and we've challenged our clients on on doing that. We've pushed them to do it. And like I promise you, 95% of the time that works. It gets results.
0: 100%. I mean, yeah. I always say like sell calls, don't sell proposals, because like at the end of the day, when people come to you for help. They come to you because they need you more than you need them for a start, because you're the expert basically. And also the fact that like they don't understand like what results to expect, what your systems and processes are, how you work, what's going to be delivered and when, what the next steps are, and all of these different things. They have no idea about any of that. So the moment you kind of hide behind a proposal, you're losing leadership. They just have no idea about where to go next. Exactly. it, It makes complete sense. And and in and another thing as well I, that kind of struck me as you as you were both sort of um, speaking there as well you mentioned about sort of you know being being ghosted I think part of the reason why people hide behind proposals and then get ghosted is because they're actually making it about themselves. Like, they're more fearful around, like, how do they pay for their mortgage? How do they put food on their plate? Rather than exactly what Pete just described there, which is like, well, this person's got a bleeding neck. Like, if, if you met somebody with a bleeding neck, you would do something to help them, right? Yes. If that meant forcing yes. them onto the operating theater, anesthetizing them, stitching their neck up, you would do whatever <laughs> it takes, right? And that's what people should do with their clients.
1: Yeah, yes. within reason, you know but what? yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> you know, proposals as well. Like, we are a fan of proposals. I think a lot of people spend a lot of time on them. And a lot of our clients that we've worked with, they'll say, I've got no idea, like, what even needs to go into this proposal. And if you're in that stage, you don't have enough information. If you don't know how to write a proposal, if you don't know how to pitch like the service that's going to be right for this potential client. You've not asked enough questions and you've not gathered enough information. So actually what you need is another call. You okay. need to another call. You need to ask them all the questions and you can even just pitch them the, the, the option on the call rather than relying on writing this long proposal. Cause we've seen a ton of proposals. We ask all of our clients to send them the proposals. Most of them are too long. Most of them are too complicated. Most of them just look super overwhelming, like straight away. And you like, don't know. I like none of you need to make your your proposals almost enjoyable and easy to read. And that comes from like really knowing mm. what the client wants, what they need, and like being able to like clearly
1: offer a solution. I would even just one challenge that even more with people. Like we sometimes we just say like, you don't need a proposal. Like, so take that call. Have a discovery call with someone and like talk through what they're going to get. Like we're big, we're firm believers in like having packages ready to go. If some kind of bespokeness needs to happen, fine. But you should start with a package at least. And then you can just talk through it, how it works. Get them enthusiastic about it. Because your enthusiasm can come across a lot more on a call. And then you can literally say, uh, like three magic phrases at the end of a call. Like, so can you now just recapped? Can you see how that'll help you to achieve your goals of XYZ? Yes, I can see how that would help. Great. So I know I've not told you the investment yet, but is that something you'd like to be a part of? Yes, it sounds really, really great. Ah, oh, awesome. Okay. Would you like to know the investment? Yes. Okay. The investment is this. Would you like to move forward with that? Yes. Great. Like that's how you end the sales call, right? And if they have questions, if they have to if they have to go away and think about it, fine. But like you can handle it more than on the call. Like a big believer in sales calls, actually.
0: Yeah, couldn't I couldn't agree more. Listen, I, I could talk all day about this, and um, for <laughs> anybody who's just kind of um, playing catch up, like do go and listen to the first twenty minutes because we've had so many amazing tips from from both Andrew and Pete here. But I'm I'm, I'm also interested to, to know about you guys as well. Like, how did you get? Because like you're clearly incredibly knowledgeable, and you've got a, your branding is like totally on point. There's so, so much good stuff. Okay. How, how did you get into doing what you do now?
2: So we've been doing this since 2011. So we are coming up on 12 years this year. We met at university, we became really good friends. And when we came, came to graduate, I was moving to Newcastle to live with my girlfriend. And I said to Pete, just like, come with me. We, were at, we studied at Lancaster University. Pete moved to Newcastle with me. I'm from Cumbria originally, and Pete's from Preston. <laughs> and we set up a, long story short, we, end, we ended up setting up a web design branding agency. And we, we knew nothing and we were like super green. We were 21 in a new city and we just immersed ourselves in everything. Like we went to every event, we read every book, we read every blog. We kind of learned on the job, our web design and graphic design agency, which was like a skill we had, turned into like a marketing agency, which turned into a, we'll teach people how to do this for themselves, which turned into the membership and now the conference that, that you see today. So yeah, it's been it's been a journey. Um, it's been a fun journey. There's been lots of ups, lots of downs, lots of scary stuff, lots of failures along the way. But yeah, it's it, it's been been a story. There's a lot of trust involved
0: there, Pete, for him to just sail up sticks and leave and come live with me in Newcastle. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's obviously
1: you know it's good friendship there. <laughs> I was I was absolutely terrified. Um, in fact, one one of the times that we almost fell out was because he was like. Oh, let's like, because we set up a business at university in between second and third year. And we always said, oh, we'll go and just continue to run our business after uni. And I didn't really take it seriously. So I started applying for jobs. And then he was like, why the hell are you applying for jobs? Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, And to be honest, I was just like afraid to start my own business at that point. What, what was it was, about starting your own business that you were most afraid of? Uh, not having enough money (laughs) because like we're students we've not got any savings and he wanted me to like move to Newcastle we knew new one like we didn't have any income so how were we going to like survive so I didn't really know how that was going to work um but he he just reassured me we were 21.
2: We had, like, no mortgages, no kids, no wives, no real responsibilities. No, no dogs or cats. No dogs, like nothing. We, yeah, we, we only had to feed all ourselves. of those now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to me, it was like, if we're going to do this, let's do it now. Like, I didn't want to get a job, get cushy, and, like, not not want to give that up, you know? We both, we ran the Entrepreneur Society whilst we were at university. We were, like... Both loved entrepreneurship and, and business, and we found that really inspiring. And like it's funny that Pete was the one that was a little bit more on the edge because it was Pete that asked me to set up the business with him. He kind of like, I didn't, I Pete studied entrepreneurship at university. I studied economics with a I always had like a keen interest in business, but I thought one day, but like Pete kind of ignited that spark in me. It's like, no, you know what? We could like do this now. Like, what am I waiting for? So it was funny to see him like applying for jobs when we both agreed to set up our own business. Yeah, It sounds to me that like Pete,
0: Pete kind of had the spark, the entrepreneur of Spark. And Andrew, you had the data there with your economic sort of background. And it was kind of like, yeah. a, there's a good yin to a yang there, I think. Yeah, I
2: mean, I am the one that does the accounts, but I hated my degree. So I did not ask me anything about economics. Oh, well, please. you can join that club. That's another point podcast episode and <laughs> the, yeah. the education system, but
0: we're not going to go yeah. there. Um, so I had a, a follow-up question from there where you said you had the fit, you kind of leaned into it, you you set the, the agency up. What was the point when you were kind of like,
2: yeah, this is actually working? I feel like we didn't feel that for a long time. I think we were so young and so inexperienced. And ambitious. We spent an ambitious, like we spent a lot of time feeling like we hadn't made it because like we were like reaching for the stars and we were like 21 and we really didn't know what we were doing. So we spent, and that was like a hard pill to swallow to be, to like say, at one point we had to say to ourselves, we need to stop giving ourselves a hard time. Like we were actually doing really well. I think there's a few points in our career where we have felt like, I don't know if we can swear on yeah, this okay. podcast, but like like, fuck, we've made it. <laughs> I think the first one was getting to keynote social media marketing world, which was a conference we'd been going to for years. It was in front of like 5,000 of our peers. We were like 28 at the time and like one of the youngest, if not the youngest to keynote it at that point. And there was a lot of people that we felt like were way more deserving, but we put ourselves out there. We didn't think we were going to get that. That was an opportunity that like presented itself to us. We were like, oh God, should we go for this? We like pushed it. We emailed the organizer because we knew who was interested in us, even though we didn't feel ready, but we yeah. felt like this is an opportunity we can't turn down if it's going to present itself at this point. And it, it all worked out. That was a really great one for our brand, our authority. I think the next part was our very first Atomic Con, mm. Just having, like, we've been to a ton of events. The first one, we we it was a small room in Newcastle. We were aiming for about 80 people. We sold 300 tickets in mm. five days. We were like, oh my God, these people yeah. are like trust us and value us enough to travel. Some people travelled travel from all over the world. Yeah. Like it wasn't. America,
1: Singapore, Sweden, yeah. like Australia. Yeah. I think I think that was like the first
2: like we've built something here where the community was just as excited, if not more excited, to meet each other as they were to meet us, where we felt like I felt super proud that day. I felt like super proud of
1: what we had done.
2: No, I've got goosebumps thinking about it now.
1: <laughs> well, I, I, I was
2: going to say as
0: well from like, a, I mean, I haven't, I haven't been to Atomicon. Um, I'm I'm hoping to come this year, or at least watch it virtually at the very yeah, least. Yeah. But, you know, from an outsider's perspective, kind of looking in, I mean, one, one getting that, um, that keynote, which you described there. I mean, that's like, that's epic. I mean, that's every sort of marketer's dream, isn't it? To get something like that. But yeah. also like, I have I've found with events that especially when you host an event it is a direct reflection of who you are as a person like who shows up you know what experience yeah. they have and things like that and even just spending this short period of time with you like now it's been a lot of fun and I can see why people would be attracted right, to come to an event run by you both oh, thank and you You're very kind on. I'm gonna sound like a proper like fanboy in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> right. Have you got Andrew and Pete T-shirt on under that? <laughs> 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 Hang on a second. Andrew and Pete underpants. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a bit more about Atomicon then, and and obviously like you know people are going to be interested to know about sort of the event where it is, when it is, all of those sorts of things. Yeah. Talk about the event.
1: Yeah. So it's. Um... It's happening June the 12th and 13th um, this year, so in a couple of months. So act fast if you want to come. And basically, it is absolutely epic. It's going to be amazingly fun. It's going to be about a 1,000 people coming. It's one of the UK's, if not one of Europe's, biggest business events for kind of small business owners and marketers. We've got incredible speakers, world-leading speakers. Um, not your average type of speaker that speaks at like local events, like get that out of your head. This isn't like a standard conference, it's like a mega conference, it's multi-track. We've got the likes of Rachel Rogers, Robin Kennedy, us keynoting. Um, we've got Mark Wright, Matt Navarra, we've got Joe Wicks, the body coach, uh OBA. Like he's coming to speak, which is epic. It's gonna be really fun. And the whole day is centered around giving you the inspiration and tactics, like actionable tactics to go away and make a real difference in your business, skyrocket your sales. So if you want more sales, basically, and you want to learn from like the best people in the world, like come to this conference. The speakers are like handpicked from business leaders, record-breaking like entrepreneurs people that are phenomenal entrepreneurs, but also really good speakers. Like there's no boring, footy, dirty speakers. There's no snooze fests, right? So everyone's going to be absolutely on point. And it's advice that you just wouldn't get anywhere else. Like We've been to events. We've been to hundreds of events. We've spoken at hundreds of events. And these are the speakers that were like, okay, they've nailed it. They've given the best advice, they've got the best reviews. And to be honest, it's quite expensive to hire all these people. (laughs) But like it's worth it. Because the transformation that people get after Atomic Con is unbelievable. Because like we were saying at the beginning, and the whole point of you know, the fearless, the fearless vibe, right, is things are scary. So when you come to an event like this, it's it just immediately elevates your mindset. And gives you that like inspiration to take the next level of your business and do the things that you need to do. And not just the inspiration, but now you've got the actionable strategies and plans to go about and do it. And if you can't make it in person, there is an epic virtual version of it as well. In fact, we've built our own metaverse for it. So you can access it on your desktop. You don't need to buy like, a VR headset or anything. And essentially, you can uh, attend it virtually almost as if you're like there in real person. You have your own avatar. You can choose what sessions you want to watch. You can meet people serendipitously. Um, it's really, really cool. There's also like a ton of bonuses with the event, but I won't go into that now, but it's all about taking action. Um, and there's also a two-week build-up to it with additional sessions in the metaverse as well.
0: Amazing, Pete. I was hoping then you were going to say no, no. You had to go out and buy an Oculus Rift so that you could attend virtually. That, that yeah. Just, I need, I need an excuse. I need I mean, a reason. You to, want to, <laughs> it's a great excuse
2: to get that past your So yeah, I'll, I'll go, go and raise
0: my fun pot in my Starling bank account. Okay.
2: <laughs>
0: so how can how can people? But where where do you go to find out more details about the events?
2: Yes. So if you go to www.atomic.site forward slash Atomicon, that has got all the information there. It's got all the speakers, it's got all the timings, it's got everything that you're going to learn. We have got a limited time deal at the moment for anyone that's listening to this podcast or that is in the group. So Robin, I think you're going to put the the link in. It's atomic.site forward slash Atomicon hyphen deal. That will get you 20% off voucher. We've got a limited amount that we are giving away at the moment. So um, depending on when you're listening to this, that might still be available or it might not. So if you are listening, sooner rather than later, Please do act quick and go grab one of those twenty percent off vouchers.
0: Amazing, and it is quite a significant saving as well, folks. So do go and jump onto it. And I think if there was any events which I was going to recommend this year, I think this would this is I kind of probably my top one. I've got three which I think are like proper standout business events, but I think oh, I yeah. might yeah. put you up there on a pedestal. So it better be we good. we, we will. will
2: take top one. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Robin.
0: Um, <laughs> so aside, just a very quick question. I've got two questions actually to kind of wrap things up. Yeah. So, so aside yeah. from Atomicon, I know that's a big project that you work on each year, but what else are you working? on at the moment yes
2: so we have got our membership and our community so the community is called the atomic growth club we are in there every single week every single day actually in the facebook group answering questions helping people out we've got our whole program that you can go through um so please do feel free to check that out if you want to get some more under and peak time we also have our rebels program so that launches every three months, and that is a six-month accelerator where we basically become your business partners and work with you intensely for six months to help you reach your next income goals, help you get over those barriers, give you accountability and immediate feedback to go smash those goals. So they're kind of our three babies at the moment. We've got our membership, we've got our Accelerator program, and we've got our conference.
0: Amazing. Absolutely epic. We've um, So I'll share that link um, in there, and I'll also share, we've got your Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, sorry, Facebook links as well. So we'll make sure that everybody's got access to your social. So my final question then for you both, and I'd like an answer from both of you on this one, if I could. Yeah. Um, cool. uh, so we're going to jump into the Fearless Business DeLorean, and uh, we're going to go back to a, a period of time in your past. And I'd like to know, when is it? And if you could give a message to yourself, what would it be?
2: Oh, God, it's hard, that one. I think I would probably go right back to 2011. And I would tell 21-year-old me to not think, to think bigger than what he was thinking. Like, he had ambitious goals. He was very locally Minded, We were doing like a ton of networking. We were trying to like grow our business locally. We should have been creating more content. We should have been like building our audience. I think that is a, I don't like having regrets, but like it is a regret that I wish we had done sooner. It took us a few years to realize like that internet bubble was like bubbling at that point. And I think we could have gotten it a little bit sooner. And I think we were just a little bit too... Potentially scared. I don't know if it was like a scared or just like a knowledge gap that we had of thinking or not really knowing or not learning enough about that at that time.
1: Um, but yeah, that's what that that's what mm. I would do in the DeLorean. I think, yeah, just I would compound that with focusing more on content and email list growth. So audience and audience and social, but also email. And just really going for that and building our audience quicker rather than delaying that. Like at the beginning, we were like, oh, we'll do one newsletter a month. So like we did that for years until we realized that one letter, one newsletter a month does jack for your business. And you need to at least email people once a week, if not like two or three times a week, if not daily. <laughs> um, to, to make some kind of impact and you know the significance of our email list especially when we use the hand technique that we mentioned at the beginning it's so powerful and easy to get sales so that's probably what i would tell myself other than the lottery lottery numbers <laughs> yeah, it be all.
0: <laughs> no. I'll let you into a little secret here. So obviously, I, I I'm a, little, a few years older than you. I know it doesn't look like it, but a few years older than you. So I I ran an agency myself for twelve years from two thousand and four to two thousand and sixteen, and I I actually look at you both or listening to you both I would say you know a lot of what I know now and I'm I'm like close to 10 years older than you both right (laughs) so imagine given you did what you knew you know back with what you knew back then and what you've managed to achieve to this point imagine what the next eight to 10 years are going to look like based on where you're at right now and I think you've got a fantastic a fantastic sort of mindset and opportunity there and if anybody missed um, what Andrew said there as well Like, you know, just... Aim a little bit bigger. Don't think locally. If you're an agency owner, a consultant or a coach, whatever. We do live in a global marketplace nowadays. There's opportunity like worldwide, eight billion potential opportunities worldwide out there. So get out there and put yourself about because otherwise, like life's too short, right? Yeah. That's a good news. Yes. Eight billion people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe try not to, to all of them. Facebook can try. <laughs> <laughs> <1 billion. laughs>
1: awesome.
0: Listen, folks. Uh, I, I know guys, you've got to um, dash off as well, but um, if any of you, I'm going to make sure that um, Andrew and Pete are tagged in the Facebook group. If you've got any questions that you would love to follow up with these guys, if you want to know more about Atomicom, please do go and check them out. Um, uh, Andrew, Pete, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for giving up your your hour to come and speak to us
2: today. Oh, thank you so much for having us. And thank you for listening, guys. Yes, please do fire any questions at us.
1: <laughs> yeah, please do reach out, give us a follow, give us a mention, give us an email. Just get in touch. We'd love to hear from anyone if they found it useful. Take care, folks.